Hi, welcome to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. And we are talking about The Post and I, Tanya, today. But we have a ton of movie news to get through, so I'm ready to just move right into it. Let's get started. First story, uh, Saudi Arabia, after a decades-long ban, 35 years, uh, decides to start screening films again. This was something they'd stopped doing, and they open it up, first film in Saudi Arabia in 35 years with Sony's the emoji movie <laughs> and that is just tragic on so I, many I'm, levels i try to be a little showman for this show like you know dress it up a little bit and seem excited but like my disappointment can't come across enough like the emoji movie oh no what a what a what a mis, misstep misfire it's it awful so that brings up a good point what what film would you choose of the last 35 years you just get to pick one any other movie <laughs> <laughs> by any you could other even, studio you could even go bad and, and talk about the you could show the room and it would be I, better <laughs> I, yeah honestly i would have rather have run an infomercial for 90 minutes than the emoji movie i didn't see the emoji movie so i shouldn't i shouldn't rail on it as bad as i am i i, I should give it its due diligence and actually waste my time watching it but what a disappointment of all the movies, like, I, I feel like, and I know it was at, like, a children's theater, that was part of the angle, but, like, of everything you could run in 35 years of incredible film, the Emoji Movie, I would have gone with something like a Disney flick, like Tangled or something, or Frozen, or Shrek, or, uh, that's uh, DreamWorks. Yeah, know, there, there's like, tons of great animation out there that could have been used. There's tons of great animation out there. Yeah, you could have even gone for something that was, like, a little, uh off script pardon the pun something like wreck it ralph or something wacky and i appreciate that it was children's film that's actually i, I have to appreciate that if you're going to lift a ban on cinema in your country um starting with kids is kind of a clever way to go you know you're starting with a new generation like here's here's introducing something to them they're not familiar with maybe their parents don't know as well and kind of setting up uh, a future uh, for cinema in saudi arabia i can get behind that but like the emoji movie whose <laughs> idea was that like come on i don't know someone playing it real safe what sony shill like paid to get that in there what was that all about <laughs> i don't know if you saw it. there was a there was a photo released from this screening and it was of a bunch of like a handful of kids like sitting in like kind of rudimentary essentially uh, movie theater seats and all of the seats no lie had mcdonald's mccafe like logo printed on the back because the whole thing was sponsored by mcdonald's and i have to believe they had a hand in this somewhere i they had some kind of happy 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 meal toy deal with sony or something and we're like <laughs> the emoji movie man that's what we're running kids oh, in saudi gosh. arabia they'll think it's great awful it's it's like some lame like honestly that's how paranoid i am about this i think it was some lame attempt at marketing or something like yeah, we'll just we'll tell them it's good, and this is what movies are about, and the the emoji movie will be a big hit in Saudi Arabia because it sucked everywhere else. Like just <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Oh <laughs> that's, man, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, Europa Corp. Euro, Europa Corp. Uh, the studio who produced Luc Besson's Besson's um, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, right? Yep. Is that uh, yeah? City of a Thousand Planets. Planet of a South. City of a Thousand Plants. Europa Corp moves to reduce French staff by 28% after recent losses. You reminded me why this was a big story, Andy. Why is this important? Well, this is where we got our tagline, the home of bold cinema. And that's, It is. What happened is I saw an article, 
and it was uh, about City of a Thousand Planets, and it was uh, entitled Why Audiences Reject Bold Cinema. The implication being that Valerian is so bold that audiences will reject it. This was like right before it even came out. Right. Um, and I just couldn't help rolling my eyes and just laughing at the, that line of, oh, the audi- normal audiences reject bold cinema, and they, that's why they're going to reject this, if, they, if, in, if indeed it's not a hit, which it was mm. not. Which it wasn't, and nobody saw that coming. Did you see Valerian in the City for that? No, I, I just could not get behind it. I didn't either, and it's a bummer because when I first saw like the first trailer for it, I actually got kind of excited. I was like, wow, that looks like a new kind of adventure flick, sci-fi. It kind of reminded me of how I felt the first time I saw a Star Wars trailer. I was like, it's different. It's something strange, very Fifth Element-esque, of course. Um, but I was kind of excited about it. And then, yeah, as it got closer and closer, I, that kind of just waned, and then I started seeing reviews for it and thought, ah, I'm just going to skip it. So I didn't end up going to see it, which was a bummer. Yeah, it, um, look, it looked like a CGI fest to me, and yeah. it reminded me a lot of uh, the Wachowski siblings' film, Jup- was it Jupiter Rising? Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, Jupiter was Ascending. Jupiter Ascending, yeah. 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 Uh, from a couple of years before, and it, it, I just had no interest to see it. Nothing about it um, inspired me. And funny enough, it's based on a comic book, which apparently inspired Star Wars back in the day. Um, right. And so now they're yeah. just getting around to making the movie. But uh, I mean, it looked like it was going to bomb and they were very confident about like, oh, no, there's no way we're going to lose money. It's going to be a huge hit. And then it totally bombed. But now we have a good, great tagline for the show. <laughs> the home of bold cinema. Indeed, the boldest of cinema here on Offscript. You know, it's funny. I think part of the problem for Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets was the title. And it wasn't that the title was particularly odd. It's when you title something The City of a Thousand Planets, it's like titling a movie The NeverEnding Story. You're kind of leading people to be disappointed because The City of a Thousand Planets, is it's too big. It's too much of a claim for a two-hour film. Like, it, it seems like there's going to be so much going on. No, there's no possible way you could get to a thousand different aliens from a thousand different planets. It's impossible. So... Really, you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment and your audience for disappointment by naming your movie something like The City of a Thousand Planets. That's just me, though. Yeah, I definitely enjoy shorter titles, and I can tell that they maybe wanted to make sure the audience knew what they were seeing by having this long tagline. Uh, But for for me, Valerian was all I needed. I probably would have been more interested in that than City of a Thousand Planets, blah, 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 bold cinema. (laughs) Blah, 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 bold cinema, like our show. Uh, Marvel hires writer for potential Black Widow solo film. I'm hoping you have a little bit more on this. I think my opinion is probably cynical at best. So what do you think, Andy? Well, it seems like, you know, Marvel's actually been on top of most uh, things in the comic book world as far as, uh, you know, developing films. And they seemed really behind behind on just developing a female-led film. Uh, they really should have been the first ones to do, to do it. They were making all these other films so quickly and so well. It's it's amazing that the Black Widow film hasn't come sooner. It's almost as if they waited for the success of Wonder Woman to say, oh, okay, we can go ahead and make a female-led film. Right. I think it's exactly that. You waited on the success of Wonder Woman, and that took off, and you thought, oh, man... We should have done it first, but we can certainly do it after because everybody loves Black Widow. I don't think that's a particularly good idea to make a Black Widow solo film. And and the only reason, and this is going to sound, 
I don't mean it to sound as pointed as it probably will come off. Black Widow kind of doesn't have superpowers. So why do why it's do a, I care? It's, it's almost like doing like you know the solo Hawkeye film. Exactly, it's exact, and even he arguably has superpowers. But like, yeah, it's exactly that. I'm like, oh, cool, a political espionage thriller, I guess. Because if it's anything more than that, it's not gonna not gonna make any sense in a world in a movie. Sure, superheroes, but it's true. Yeah, it's like she doesn't have any superpowers. Well, I mean, a- I know she's supposed to have some kind of like super serum, whatever, and be quick, but like. That's just human agility. She can't. She can't <laughs> shoot lightning. She can't do anything cool. So yeah, well, I don't it, know. it's a little bit like the the Wolverine issue where you know there are mutants far more powerful than Wolverine. You know, there's Storm, for instance, controlling the weather is a huge deal. But she's kind of a minor character. But everyone loves the character of Wolverine. And no, Black Widow isn't quite at that same level. But she's still, I think, a character that a lot of people like and can get behind. I guess I would rather see a Scarlet Witch solo film or better yet what they're supposed to be working on right now brie larson's captain marvel which is supposed to be according to marvel coming out in march of 2019 yeah that's supposed to be first that's supposed to be their first female fronted film following that probably possibly black widow and that one makes more sense because it's like wonder woman it's more standalone we haven't seen her yet she's her own individual yeah um but i'll, I'll black say widow, we've sc- yeah go ahead well i was just gonna say that we we've had 10 years of uh yeah, 10 years of Marvel films, 22 films, and, you know, we don't have a female-led one yet. So that's they definitely should have been jumping on this uh, much earlier. No, it's true, and it makes you wonder why they didn't. Um, but, yeah, of, of the characters to use, like, I'm just not into the whole Black Widow scene. I don't know. I was never, I was never a big Black Widow fan, frankly. I was just like, eh, I guess she's cool. It's kind of like Hawkeye. Yeah, you're right. They're both kind of in the same category. Like, yeah, I guess... I guess you get lumped in with the rest of the superheroes. I suppose you can jump and do cool tricks in the parking lot. The New Mutants. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, the last thing is that there's a really great SNL sketch where they do a trailer for the Black Widow movie, but it's it's very tongue-in-cheek and it's very sexist purposefully where, you know, Black Widow is, it's essentially like a romantic comedy and they say, Black Widow, this fall, she, you know, and, oh, she, and she falls in love with Ultron, you know, it, it's just this <laughs> really ridiculous thing. And it, you know, that's about the lack of, of, you know, female-led action movies or superhero movies and, you know, it's pretty accurate. And that thing's old. I mean, it's probably like three or four years old now, that sketch. And right. we, we still don't have a Black Widow movie. That is a funny joke. Terrible, of course. But I'd rather they do a standalone female flick about, like, Gamora from, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. That would be cool. Like, there's a little bit of an angle there. Black Widow's just kind of a flat character with no background. Mm-hmm. Like, she she has no... There's no buildup back there, really. Yeah, you can act like, oh, it's Russian espionage. But, like, really, how much do you know about the character? There's, like, nothing there. She's paper yeah. thin. Yeah. Also, so, also I'm kind of tired of Russian espionage spy films. Me too. There seems like to be a whole lot of them. That that reminds me, I did see a trailer in front of uh, the Post about a certain Rus- Russian espionage spy film. You probably did too. Yeah. What was it called? Red Sparrow. Red well, Sparrow. maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, so yeah, that, that's that's my piece about the the Black Widow film. Basically, Marvel's little little too little too late. And if you're gonna do it, like, what does it have to be Black Widow? I mean. I don't know. That feels like the accountants sitting at the, sitting there looking at their spreadsheets. Like it'll make money. Black Widow's popular. It's fine. Like, and I guess it will, but it's just, I don't know. Doesn't seem like a movie that needs to be made. The New Mutants release date pushed back to 2019. While we're talking about superheroes, this is an interesting headline talking about 
what, Fox's New Mutants movie, which was supposed to be kind of a twist on X-Men, hence New Mutants, um, being pushed back from March or April of this year to February of next year. That is almost a year. That is a 10-month delay on a movie that already has a trailer out with footage. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. That is, that is a crazy push, and I, I don't know why they did that. But what's more interesting here, kind of the subtext to this headline was for Deadpool 2 because they moved a couple things around. They moved the New Mutants way back. They moved Deadpool 2 forward three weeks, which wouldn't normally seem like a big deal, but you have to understand, formally, Deadpool 2 was coming out two weeks after Solo, the Star Wars film by Disney. Now, it's coming out two weeks after Avengers Infinity War and one week before Solo. Deadpool 2 is sandwiched between these two films. So that seems... I didn't realize that that was that close to Infinity War. That seems really close. But I think the bigger uh, thing that they're going after is I think they smell blood in the water and they think that Solo is going to bomb. And so they want to get ahead of it um, to just get make more money. Because when it comes out, audiences will say, oh, this is, this is a bad film. It's bad word of mouth, whatever. And try to capitalize on some of that Disney money. Right. Let's lay yeah, Let's let's start this at the bottom. Deadpool 2 is a rated R film. It is a adult film for adult audiences. And part of the charm of Deadpool 1 is it worked because we're jaded from too many comic book movies. So coming two weeks after a comic book movie is clever, not only because people are going to be tired of seeing it all over the place, the Avengers, I mean, and hearing about it and hearing people talk about it and seeing SNL spoofs of it. And two, frankly, and I might just be aiming high here uh deadpool had a really incredible marketing campaign and i have to imagine they're going to be building on the avengers following that right yeah like a little there's got to be there's got to be something there i'm sure that i can see a trailer in front of the movie that's just in front of avengers it's like yeah this is all well and good but like seriously two weeks from now like come see deadpool 2 yeah actually have a good time instead of just watching like a snooze fest of a marvel film i say apprehensively hopefully nobody out there here's that writes (laughs) careful writes us an email Uh, careful we're gonna have protesters in front of the building (laughs) yeah it's true um if you yeah if you disagree with me write us at what mail at offscriptreview.com did i get that right (laughs) mail at offscriptfilmreview.com mail at offscriptfilmreview.com we have an email address i know this has turned into a real show so yeah and i think you're absolutely right with the blood in the water i think I don't know. It's weird. I think they're just injecting themselves right in the middle of Disney's plan. Like we're just gonna we're gonna go for it, and we're gonna see what happens. Um, even if Solo, even if Solo bombs, I feel like people are still gonna go see it though. So it still seems like a weird move to try to grab people. Yeah. During the same month that these movies come out, it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and like I said, it's a surprising move, but because of some of the reception to the Last Jedi, and because of a lot of very, I don't know, public announcements that Solo probably won't be very good. Those are my words. That's what I've I've read. Um, right. Yeah, they're, it looks like they're going to try and capitalize on the situation. Right. Get ahead Insiders, of a bad movie. Insiders said this has nothing to do with the Disney 21st Century Fox merger, which I hadn't considered, but I guess I could see why some people would conspire to think that. Um, I don't think it's related. Yeah, I imagine the marketing teams are totally different. Um, but I can get behind it. I'm a big fan of competitive marketing and film. Go for it. Go nuts. Yeah, like uh, attack each other. I'm fine with it for for our entertainment. 
Past more, the popcorn. more movies for us. I'm, I'm, meaning, right. I'm going to see all three. So, right. And, and the other movie that got moved around in here, which I, I wanted to touch on real quick, just to kind of chuckle at, um, Channing Tatum's gambit film got moved from February, 2019 to June, 2019, which is hilarious. Cause I'm still convinced that movie will never be made. So they've been trying to make a gambit movie for like a decade. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm like, this movie will never happen. It just won't. Um, I think if, if, if it does, it's going to be disappointing. Right. And if it does, to be fair, I think moving it is smart because notice they still moved it to after New Mutants, which is probably a smart way to go. Like you should probably kind of follow down the path of that movie wherever it goes. If we're talking about doing cinematic universes, stick with New Mutants, see where see where that takes us. And if that's any good, then make Gambit kind of in that version of X-Men, that universe, as opposed to whatever we currently have, which is post-Logan. So... I don't know. I, I didn't. This is gonna sound awful. We're, I didn't see Logan. Where Where are we now with with X Men? Um. I, well, I'm gonna say I think we're probably right for a hard reboot. You should definitely see Logan because it's probably the best X Men film. I know. I, I I I pay an absurd amount for HBO every month. It's like 15 bucks or something for HBO now, absurd. and they have so many movies on there. Compared to like Netflix, it is man. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, but they have a bunch of movies on there that I need to watch. They have like Get Out and Logan, like a handful of others that I haven't seen that like. They're just sitting there. What am I doing? So yeah, that's that's Deadpool two. Are you? Did you see Deadpool one? And are you excited for Deadpool two? Yeah, I saw Deadpool. Uh, I really laughed a lot. It was refreshing. It's just very different. Hard I, R, hard R, hard so. R. I watched Deadpool twice, and both times I, I felt like I wanted to laugh more than I did. I don't know. I, I feel like I just went in expecting too much. I was expecting like a, a you know a riotous fun romp of, of a rated R experience starring Ryan Ryan Reynolds as the titular character, but like it kind of just didn't ring my bell, and that bums me out. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad other people enjoyed it. I'm glad they're making another one, but something about it just didn't quite resonate with me. I saw so, it in yeah. the theater, and maybe that had something to do with it. Like I had a really good audience. Everyone laughed at all the jokes. So it, was, it was a really good time. I would think, honestly, that does make a difference because I saw it alone both times, which is me. So, yeah, that's probably fair. Hearing other people laugh at jokes usually helps. That laugh track effect. Yeah. So, before we move into movies, something I wanted to touch on briefly, um, a new segment for the, for the show, uh, talking about trailers we saw this week, specifically before the movies we watched. I went and saw The Post, you saw The Post, and I, Tanya. Um, and we'll get to those in a minute, but I wanted to ask if you saw any intriguing trailers and no, not really, <laughs> uh, not really. I, I feel like we're in the, that weird space before summer. And so a lot of the big summer trailers have already come out or the second versions won't be out till later in the spring. Yeah. Uh, so nothing really stands out to me other than the, the awful, um, Red Sparrow trailer, the Jennifer Lawrence the uh, Red Ru- Sparrow Russian. trailer. It, it, yes. it looks like a ripoff of Atomic Blonde. Um, oh, it looks so terrible. I mean, just, just yeah, it looks really g- generic. Um, I think Annihilation looks really good. Um, and that's the Alex Garland follow-up who did a Deus Ex Machina. Uh, from right, a couple, starring couple. Natalie Portman. Yeah. You mean Alicia Vick? Oh, you mean Annihilation, yeah. Right, Annihilation starring. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, so yeah. that looks really good. That... Um, Deus Ex Machina was an incredible piece of science fiction, um, so I'm really looking forward to see what he does with this next movie. Looks like it'll be a little bit more a- action-oriented. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't have like an Amazon Prime 
account, steal your mom's password or something, and check out Ex Machina. It's on there. It's great. It is absolutely worth your time. Uh, Annihilation looks okay. I, I know it's based on a book, and I hadn't. I'd seen a teaser a while back, but I hadn't seen anything since. So watching it uh, in front of the post for the first time on the big screen was good. It, it looks good. Yeah, I, I like kind of the the direction of it. It seems to be a primarily female cast, um, kind of driving the plot, uh, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's about, but I'm like, well, that that seems interesting. That seems like a movie. Why not? It reminds me of something like uh, Arrival. Just kind yeah. of an original little story, a one-off. Like, yeah, that'll be good. Doesn't seem like it's trying to set up any kind of universe. Red Sparrow <laughs> looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> I think J Law needs to take needs to take a year off, Let's like a year a or two. Yep, take a break. Uh, slip out of the limelight for a little while. Do you come back and do a big movie? It'll be like the return of Jennifer Lawrence. That's that's what I think she needs to do. Like, and you haven't even seen Mother. Mother, have you? I haven't even seen Mother. No, if, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. If you if you had seen that, you would feel that way even more so right but, no i just yeah i uh, you know what or she should do like a low low budget horror like if she was in something like it comes at night that would be cool you know just like a little a little something yeah like a little something with an edge something with a bite you know something that makes you remember it besides mother mother yeah. mother <laughs> mother uh i saw a trailer for a movie called chappaquiddick starring jason clark and ed helms and kate mara Right. Uh, it seems to be set, and I don't know the story of Chappaquiddick. It's based on a true story. Um, it seems to be set uh, around the, the time of JFK, I think, when he was president. I think, I want to say Jason maybe, Clark maybe, plays maybe one of the Kennedys. Maybe before a little bit, yeah. Maybe. I, I don't really know. And, and this is what I mean. This is what I'm getting at with this trailer. This trailer was like 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. I could just be exaggerating because it felt really long. And I don't remember almost anything about it. Other, other than thinking to myself, wow, this is a really forgettable trailer. And if you're doing a trailer about what is, I would assume to be a political or really just thriller or drama set in like the 60s or 70s, you should probably make it, mem- like, make it memorable. Make it, make it something people are going to remember so when they leave the theater they think, that movie looked cool. I should look into that. Maybe I'll go home and watch a trailer or buy tickets in advance. Like nothing about this movie looked memorable i mean the title for god's sake chappaquiddick who's gonna remember that yeah i before they said it in the trailer i sat there because i saw the poster somewhere and i was like chappa chappa like i cannot say the the title to save my life and i think like simple things like that will make people not see a film because they're like what what is that i can't say it i'm not gonna go see it right and i saw i'm gonna figure out the best way to kind of like tiptoe my way through this without getting too particularly political but chappaquiddick i think is like the post i think part of the reason it's coming out is because it's inspired by our current political trends and like what we're seeing in the news today um and that's part of the reason it's coming out it was a uh political kind of scandal i think back in the day yeah which is what it's the setting now that's kind of the whole thing but yeah like nobody remembers nobody remembers that like nobody remembers that i don't remember that happening so who exactly you're marketing the film to and what's it for if nobody can remember it the other movie i saw a trailer for god i can't remember it so i guess we should just move on <laughs> it <laughs> what, was also what, what happened what happened in it do you remember um, no not at all i was thinking about it before chappaquiddick and then i went on my little rant now oh, i have no that's... idea so we should probably move on to the post you publish we'll be at the supreme court next week meaning well we could all go to prison i know you saw i tanya and i didn't so do you mind if i take the summary for the post go ahead 
The Post is a Steven Spielberg film starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep in their first on-screen roles together. Very exciting. Um, it's a film about the Washington Post in 1971, I want to say, uh, when they received copies of the famed Pentagon Papers um, from that were written by, I suppose I should say, uh, Secretary of State Bob, Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense Robert... McNamara. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I got it. Uh, if anybody... S- quick sidebar. The Fog of War by Errol Morris is a great documentary about Robert McNamara. Check it out. Uh, they get a copy of these Pentagon Papers. These things were never supposed to be released that basically say, hey, the U.S. didn't really know what they were doing in Vietnam. It was a bad idea, but we sent a bunch of people over anyway. Uh, and they have to decide whether or not they should publish these papers in uh, the shadow of a injunction against the New York Times who had had the story before them. So... It's a movie about the press and and where the press should lie in regards to the government and what they should and shouldn't keep from the public. Um, Tom Hanks plays the editor-in-chief of the paper. Meryl Streep plays the owner. That's pretty much your setup. They get these papers. They have to decide whether or not they publish them to the public. Andy, what did you think of The Post? I mean, I really liked it. I mean, I feel like I say that about everything. I, I tend to like m- most things. Uh, but it, it really hit home to me because it's it's about, you know, the First Amendment, the importance of the press in a democratic society. And these are issues that are strangely very timely at this this moment, not to get uh, make the show controversial. No. Uh, but, you know, it that's what the message of the film is. It's about the importance of of the First Amendment, of free speech, of the ability to state your opinion and disagree and criticize the government with which you live in. And so things really stood out to me. And, you know, there's a couple of subplots involving the the business of the paper. They're, they're trying, at the same time they're trying to publish, they're also trying to take the company public. And there's also this undercurrent of uh, rampant sexism at the time where it's at the, it's at the early 70s. Um, but all the women in the film are sidelined, they're hushed, they're talked over, they're dismissed. And, you know, that's, that's a current theme throughout the film and, you know, something that reverberates into today. Right. Um, you know, I noticed I do this thing and I say this now because I want it to be my claim that I won't do it anymore. I I respond too many times to what you say with the word right, and it's awful. Right, and then just go ahead. Like, I I, I need to stop doing that. It's like a bookmark. Like, I just pick up right where you left off. Anyway, uh, yes, moving on. As far as the themes of the film go, I'm coming at this from a weird place because I think this is the first film we've done on this show that I didn't... I didn't didn't totally love. I I, I had some issues with it. I, I I didn't think it was as brilliant as I'd hoped. Um... So let me start with the themes, I guess. Uh, it was Steven Spielberg, and a lot of it felt like Spielberg, which is good. It, it, it's got a certain feel to it, a certain tone, and I think part of that is in its ability to portray the serious, but also have a little bit of heart. There's a brilliant little bit in there where uh, all the reporters are gathered at Tom Hanks's house to start working on these papers, start putting a story together, and his daughter is running a lemonade stand outside, charging 25 cents for a cup of lemonade, and she ends up like making 50 bucks over the course of the day from people coming and going. And it's just this charming little thing that's going on in the background. It's little like, oh, that's cute. Like, you know, there's a kid and running a lemonade stand. And like, yeah, it's funny, you know. Um, there's something to that. And that's peppered throughout the movie, which is good because it keeps things light and it keeps things moving. 
But I felt like the post kind of struggled to find its pacing at the beginning, like the first 45 minutes or so, it was difficult for me to get into because when you're setting a movie in 1971, a handful of people that are watching it didn't live then. Like we, we weren't alive then. So you kind of got to set up the setting in a, in a way that's a little bit more accessible to a audience that maybe isn't as familiar with the time. Spielberg, on the other hand, I think was alive then, right? No, I, definitely. Yeah. So like he grew up with this stuff. So to him, it's second nature. But to me, I really struggled to kind of get into it, which is why I thought, I thought it was interesting that you really liked it. And, and also, Christine went and saw it. She loved it. I was like, really? Like, I'm the, I'm the only one that feels this way? But so, I feel like, go ahead. So one, one thing that, that I think really stood out to me is that it feels a lot like a spy thriller, even though there, there's no spies and it's all reporter. You know, there's reporters calling other reporters and they, they're sneaking documents and making secret phone calls. And it had a little bit of that, you know, John Le Carre, a thrill to it that Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy remind me a little bit of of that and a little bit of Munich as well which Spielberg has done where you know it's it has this spy element even though you know they're just reporters and trying to and academics trying to do their job um, but that was one of the things that really drew me in is this I don't know there was this tension and this this mild thrill right I like I like the the kind of central conflict of the film it's it's something I can I can get behind this feeling of you know, should we release this to the public or shouldn't we? Like, are we doing the right thing for the good of the people or just for ourselves? Is it worth risking going to jail over this stuff or should we not? Like that, that, that back and forth, like I love that, like tension in a movie, that psychological kind of pull, push and pull. Like I can get behind. That's great. Um, and I enjoyed that. And that's what I mean by the first 45 minutes. Right when we started to get into that stuff, that's where I thought, okay, now, now, I'm, now I'm through the weeds, now I'm in the goods. But kind of building the foundation of the movie, I struggled to, I struggled to get into. I, it's difficult kind of keeping track of time other than a couple of title cards where it shows, you know, Vietnam, 1966, New York, 1971. It doesn't really tell you where you're at time-wise so you do kind of jump around a little it, sometimes it'll feel like a day's passed other times like maybe a couple days maybe a week um it seems like every day in the film Meryl Streep throws a house party yeah and <laughs> which can't true. possibly be accurate but every night she seems to be having one with like the same people so I don't I don't I'm, I don't understand like kind of the the time there you're like how are you having that? dinner every day like yeah three, three four times how a is day? there always something going on yeah <laughs> And another thing that kind of stood out to me, and this is, I think, blasphemy among Spielbergians, it the filmmaking kind of felt lazy. And the reason I say that is because there are certain shots in a very spy espionage thriller way where it's like somebody walking down a hallway with the Pentagon Papers, and it's shot handheld, which is cool. I can get behind Spielberg shooting handheld. But, like, it's all over the place. Like, it is shaky as all get out. And I'm, I'm sitting in my seat like, it's a guy walking down a hallway. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> it can be a little shaky, but like, and they had a lot of like, a lot of angles that were just low. The camera looks like it's being held at like waist height by a cameraman. And you're kind of just looking at people. Like, there's nothing on eye level. There's nothing kind of up higher. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, why are you shooting it this way? Like, it looks like you just told the camera guy, like, uh, just pick up the steady cam and shoot it. It's fine. Just, just shoot it real quick. Okay, perfect. Scene done. On to the next scene. And there are, there are shots that are shot on tripod, which are just fine. There are lots of lockdown shots in Spielberg film, as there should be. But there are some shots that are, like, long takes, and they didn't need to be. And, and i got to find an example of this for you. There's... 
there's a scene, oh, the opening scene, really, when Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep meet on screen for the first time. Their characters are familiar with each other, but we're getting to know them, and this is the first time they see each other. They, they meet each other at a restaurant. And it's like a it's like a three or four minute take, I'd, I'd think, of just one long take. And I know what it was supposed to be was like, look at these two brilliant actors, like doing doing their flourishes, like practicing their craft. You know, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Right. They're masters. And all I could think, because the camera like slides down a slider a ways and slides back and slides back. I was like, it looks like you just sat them at a table and said, go ahead, do your lines. Yeah, we'll film it. Perfect. On to the next scene. Like it didn't it didn't look like you really put any like love into it you know there was no there was no creativity and i mean there was but like <laughs> see this it is was the, just kind of it just felt kind of lazy these are things only you're, you're gonna n- notice because i know I, nobody I, cares <laughs> nobody cares about this no i mean it's important no and that's interesting too because i don't i don't know how anything is, is shot ever um right but i n- none of that stood out to me well i think it's i think you'll you'll notice this part i think it's important to counter this with another scene. There's a scene towards the end of the movie when a handful of characters are on the phone, which is cool because they're all on... It's basically one phone call from one house to another, but there's different people on different lines in the house. So you end up with like probably six or seven characters on the phone at once. You know what I'm talking about. You remember yeah. this scene. Um, and it's cut like all over the place. It cuts to one character from an angle and then it cuts to Tom Hanks from behind him and then like back to another character then back in front of Tom Hanks then to the side of me. It's all over the place. And part of the reason it's cut that way is to kind of visually draw the audience into the chaos that these characters are experiencing, trying to decide what they should do. And everybody's got a different opinion and everybody feels a different way. And they're firing back and forth. And one character says this, another character says this, and it goes to silence and just hangs in a character that goes right back to the action. Like that's Spielberg for me. I'm like, man, that like, I can feel that tension and that chaos in the way he cuts it and the way it's edited. I get that. Looking at like a, just a long take or like a shaky cam of somebody walking down a hallway, it just doesn't, it doesn't dazzle me. It misses something. And I know I shouldn't draw on other films I've seen, but like I compare this to something like The Darkest Hour, which I watched last week. And The Darkest Hour looked like, I don't know, man, that guy made making movies look easy. Like it, it, it's like incredible shots and like lighting and like it just looks so good. And every shot looks meticulously thought and planned and storyboarded. It's like we spent a day getting this one shot of Gary Oldman smoking a cigar. This one, I'm like, it almost just feels like you kind of threw it together. Yeah, um, because like you're going Spielberg through the motions. And, yeah, exactly. Because you're Spielberg and why not? You you know, everything comes easy to you. So as far as the way the film goes, it, is made i just spent oh god like eight minutes talking about that i i wasn't particularly impressed um and the other thing <laughs> i didn't like about it was kind of the themes of the film it, they, they were kind of competing with each other you have this one kind of central theme of, of you know the power of the press and the, and the, the great the, the greatness that is the first amendment and on the other hand you had meryl streep as this incredible female character representing female empowerment there's this great shot at the end of her walking down the courthouse steps and she walks past almost exclusively women and it's like a very, it's a very supposed to be inspiring kind of thing, you know, like women can succeed in the workplace. That that runs throughout the film. But like, neither theme really is given enough time to make it the centerpiece. Even though the centerpiece is, as implied by the title, the power of the First Amendment and the ability for the press to represent the governed. Um, and I can get behind that, but like... There was this really incredible kind of thing happening on the side with Meryl Streep, and you could have almost made a whole movie just about her. Right. It could have been just, yeah, just just the female angle of it. Um, and that almost didn't get its due diligence because they were trying to juggle 
Yeah, it was almost too much. I, I, I could yeah. see that. Well, one thing that, that I did want to kind of touch on is, I, you know, I mentioned uh, sexism earlier. Um, it's incredible, you know, like this isn't just like, I guess, the bad, quote unquote bad guys who behave like that. Everyone behaves like that. Tom Hanks behaves like that. I mean, as far yeah. as being sexist, being, you know, so that shows you the, like just the pervasiveness of it that um, even the characters we love act. I mean, Tom Hanks, you know, national treasure. um behaving like in a sexist way all throughout out the film as do the rest of the reporters and who are essentially the protagonists. So it just kind of demonstrates um, just the time period. Uh, I don't know. It was just really powerful. And there's another scene where the, you know, they're at one of the many dinner parties at K Graham's house. There's like 12 in this movie. <laughs> and you know, at one point, one of the men says something really political. Oh, the China's geopolitical, whatever. And then one of the women stands up and said, oh, well, that's our cue. And the, all the women leave and go into another room while the men stay and talk about politics. And, you know, I just thought that was a really powerful scene. And there's lots of that uh, kind of throughout the film. Right. No, you're right. That's a, that is a very effective scene. Um, talking about the performances, because I think that's a good kind of segue into it. I was really pleased with mostly everybody in this movie. I really liked Bob Odenkirk was great. Um I didn't realize David Cross was in it. He was kind of unrecognizable. He was like, had, he oh put really? On, yeah, he put on a whole lot of weight. That's why yeah. he probably didn't notice it. I, 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 I watched that and I saw David Cross. I'm like, oh, here's David Cross. Finally made it into a Spielberg film. You made it. Way to go, <laughs> guy. You're a real actor now. No, I love David Cross, but I, I did think I was like, uh, he finally. It feels like he just accomplished his goal. Like I made it into a Spielberg film, Mom. I did it, but he was good. To be fair, yeah. If you can get past the fact that it's David Cross, it's like, well, that's <laughs> there's, there's David Cross, um, which is funny because he and Bob Odenkirk have a show on Netflix, don't they? A sketch comedy show. I think so. Yeah, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. But um, I forgot the name of the girl, Allison something from Allison Brie. Allison Brie. She was I felt underutilized, like she often is. There's so many Allison Brie roles I've seen and been like, man, they probably could have given her a little bit more there. Like, I, I, I wish she got more work. Um, but she was great. Uh, I really liked Streep. No surprise there. Yeah, I thought she was uh, great, too. Yeah, Streep was great. A little disappointed by <laughs> Tom Hanks' accent. It's kind of like he throws, like, a gruff kind of sound on it, and I'm like, you're you're Tom, you're Tom I, Hanks, I wasn't, like, you're not. I wasn't sure what he was going for, either. Yeah, I, I kind of... And yeah. he has he has some great speeches in this. There's a, a number. I mean, he says some really like profound things. Has some really great moments, but it, it wasn't. I, I was like, uh, Tom, I know you can do better. <laughs> I know, like, I know what you're capable of. Right, and it's weird because he's initially drawn out as a little bit. He, I mean, he's a protagonist. You could argue he's part of. He's part of like the you know the 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 A team, the good side, right? The light side of the film, as opposed to everybody who's naysayer and saying, Hey, we shouldn't publish today. You know, damn it. We got to publish. Here's why is freedom of the first amendment. That's great. But like at first he's kind of drawn in a weird light that like that opening scene, like I said, when they meet at the restaurant, he's almost presented as, as an antagonist at first, like a guy who's listen, like I, he's the editor in chief. He's kind of a, a rough and tough kind of character. Um, so it's good to see him kind of come around with the audience by the end of the movie. But he does. He definitely does have his independent motivations. He's a character who clearly, like he, you know, he's he's set in his ways, and he's not going to take any crap from any interns or anybody else who tells him how to run his paper, which I guess is good. But um, I don't know. Yeah, mixed mixed emotions yeah. about his character. I didn't know whether I should root for him or think he sucks. He d- he did have one uh, 
one line that I really liked or one, one uh, phrase, uh, you know, he was talking about how the press has kind of enjoyed this kind of rubbing elbows with, with the government. And it, and he realizes that, oh, you know, we, they took they take us on their cruise and they take us to the white house. And then in turn, we don't publish negative things about them. And it was kind of just an unspoken rule. And he, at one point he realizes he's like politicians, they can either be your friend or they can be your source, but they can't be both. Right. And that's like, a re- a really, yeah. yeah, it's a really profound realization by yeah. him. Well, wrapping up my uh, hate fest on the post, <laughs> I guess. Do you, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, no, I, I, I liked it. Uh, I, I did think um, Meryl Streep was great. Uh, her, her, like, she's the standout in in that um, in her acting. I think it'll probably get a, a Best Picture not nomination because it's Spielberg and because of the topic and and all that. Would you recommend the post? Yeah, I would. You would not, you would not probably. <laughs> I you know I think I would I, I would to a certain a certain audience yeah if you like dramas uh, period dramas uh, maybe like political thrillers um, and you like you know Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep like I do go for it yeah I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't say like you know put pin your whole Friday night on it but like catch a matinee show why not you know it better yet if it comes to like HBO or Amazon it's absolutely worth checking out. Um, if you're into that kind of movie, if you like that kind of stuff, like you'll probably enjoy it. If you're on the fence, if you're not sure, like your your hard earned dollars might be spent better elsewhere. But that's just my opinion. Wait for Netflix. Um, there you go. Yeah, wait for Netflix. No, it's it's okay. It's all right. I, I didn't yeah, I didn't hate it. I, I just didn't like it as much as I'd hoped. So I guess that's my thoughts on the I post. Did, I I did have this thought that be, because of you know the the press has been in, in our current political climate has been kind of under attack for the last several years the term fake news has made its way into the lexicon all over the world and i've so, never heard that before and so <laughs> i you know i do worry that because of this film's message about the importance of the press that you know it i think is probably going to get attacked politically and there's probably a certain political side that will not appreciate it or say it is right on the other side which is wacky because considering where our news cycle is today i mean there's something new out every like eight hours it's absurd you gotta wonder when you think about how long it takes to make a movie where we were when spielberg started production on this versus where we're at now yeah it's probably it, totally different i mean yeah who knows yeah that's the thing that it, it, people don't realize it i mean this was probably several years in the making but it's yeah. gonna it's gonna look like a timed thing Right. It it looks very timely, but you have to consider, like, no, these things usually take a while. You know, we, we were in a very different spot, I think, when this movie started getting made. Um, so, yeah, that's the post, I guess. Moving on, I suppose we should talk about the uh, the death of cinema. The death this week. of cinema. The death of cinema. Uh, what are we talking about this week? Um, MoviePass recently announced that they had 1.5 million subscribers. To give you some context, back in August when they lowered their price from $50 a month to $10 a month, they had about 20,000. Right. So they've had this huge exponential growth in subscribership to MoviePass. Uh, and for those of you who don't know... Uh, with MoviePass, you pay a monthly fee. I think it's nine ninety nine, ten bucks a month. You can see unlimited films. 
Um, and there's some, there are some restrictions, a number of restrictions, but you know, things like no IMAX, no 3D, uh, you can't reserve tickets, but for the most part, it's, it's a pretty good deal if you're a movie goer. Um, I, however, have not really been a fan or, or I, I've chosen not to get one, Zach, you've chosen not, not to get one. Um, and it's been interesting to see how people react. Uh, I was reading through lots of comments, um, on the, the film boards and, you know, some people say, oh, I've seen 10 films a month and, you know, this is the best thing that's ever, you know, since sliced bread. But then there's other people who have not gotten their cards at all who signed up in August. It, and so it, it's an interesting, uh, thing to see where it's at now from where it started. Right. That was something I heard a lot about is people who had ordered it and, yeah, hadn't got a card, hadn't shown up in the mail or trying to get a hold of MoviePass customer service. The whole point of this card, besides to save you money, is convenience. And the reason I haven't got it, despite the fact that we're doing a movie podcast where we go see a new movie every month, every week. Every is, week or two. Every week. God, I totally blew that. Every week is... To, to go see to, for convenience like that's that's part of the point and like if i order this thing and the car doesn't show up in three days it is totally not worth my time especially right. if you get on the phone and like figure out how to get your movie pass card like no that's yeah that's and, awful. It, and that's been the biggest complaint is that um customer service support is com- apparently just completely non-existent and if if you don't get a hold of anyone well too bad you're just probably never going to get your card Right. Um, but for those who have the, have the card, you know, it's everything from, yeah, you know, I see a couple movies a, uh, a month to I've seen 10 this month. Um, one thing that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way is people complain a lot about the price of going to the movies, which to me is a little absurd and a little baffling when you compare the price of doing anything outside of your house. You know, if you want to go to the bar and have some drinks or you want to see a concert, you want to see a show, you want to do anything, any kind of entertainment... You're going to pay more than 12 bucks to get in. Right. Like 12 bucks will buy you a, a couple of beers, you know, at, at a mid-level bar. So it's yeah. baffling to me when someone's like, oh, 12 bucks. I don't, I don't know. And I, and I know when you compare it to something like Netflix, sure. But, you know, when you compare it to the rest of entertaining options, even something as simple as dinner, to me, it, it's to me, it's on the cheaper side. You get two hours of entertainment for five, ten, five, twelve, uh, sorry, 10, 12 bucks. Sure. I, I feel and, like that, that's completely reasonable. And that's not including like pre-show. I mean, yeah, you can go hang out for 45 minutes if you want. Um, the cost of that, to me, is a little offset by the savages you might be sitting in the theater with, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. That might absolutely trash your experience. But um, you're right. Like, the cost is reasonable. But that's also from the understanding of you being somebody who does not buy concession. You know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I've gotten down to the point, and I used to work at a movie theater in high school uh, for like three years, and I got so big on, I mean, oh my God, every movie I went and saw, I was like, gotta have a popcorn, gotta have a drink, because it costs nothing. Totally brainwashed into using, into having concessions. I've gotten to the point now where all I go in with is water, and I sneak in like a pack of almonds. I'm not afraid. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that, because if they sold them, I'd buy them at whatever the cost, but they Fair won't, enough. because that competes with their popcorn monopoly. Cinema in the pocket of big popcorn. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, it, seriously, I'd go to a theater, see if you can find almonds. I, I would be shocked. Send us an email. Mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. So, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and even then, a water is like four fifty, which is obscene. 
if you're a family going to the movies, yeah, and everybody gets popcorn and a drink, yeah, I'd agree. That's totally not worth it. But if you're just going to see it by yourself, yeah, it's like $12 or something. Like, who cares? That's cheaper than an hourly wage to watch well, a movie that costs $80 million. Well, it, that, and that's exactly the, that you said, that, you know, well, if you're taking your family. Well, if you're taking your family anywhere, it's going to be expensive. Like, that's anything true. you do, it's not going to be cheap. And Have you it, seen the price of bowling shoes nowadays? Like, come <laughs> on. Going yeah. to the movies is nothing. Well, and I, one of the things someone said, oh, you know, I totally love movies, and now I can see like 10 10 a, a, a month or something and i was like if you're not really willing to pay to get in to see them like how much do you really enjoy them like if you only now started watching them because like i, I was thinking about this when i was in high school and college and right out of college like nothing neither of those times of being broke ever stopped me from going like i saw what i wanted to see <laughs> i mean there's cheaper times i made it work but it was the the price has never been an issue for me because i'm a huge uh cinema fan i'll never forget there was a time in high school i was at, working at the movies i was working as an usher so i'd go in and clean theaters and when i say i worked at the movies in high school i was in houston i worked at i, I would wager the crappiest movie theater in houston texas just the worst it was like 25 years old it was a lowe's now it's called amc but back then it was lowe's owned by amc 25 years old they had not replaced a single thing in that place like the seats were 25 year old seats man they were awful like you could not sit in those things comfortably the popcorn was always stale the soda was always warm like nothing about it was, <laughs> oh was glamorous but i loved working there because it had personality and oftentimes you'd get a lot of scumbags to come in but also interesting characters who had stories to tell and i'll never forget i was cleaning like shrek 3 or something okay and I'm in the and this isn't really a good story to tell as far as like quality of a theater is concerned, but hear me out. I'm in like the back of the theater and I find in the back row of Shrek three two two forties, right? Uh-huh. Like you're familiar, like a forty ounce drink. Yes. One of them's empty, the other one's full. Pretty sure whoever was drinking peed in it. <laughs> here's my point. My point is this. Somebody went to an awful movie theater and paid like six bucks, snuck in two forties, and probably had a great time for like three hours. Right. Well, I mean, what's going to the movies all about? You don't have to be a cinephile to have a good time. Just go and enjoy yourself. Like it <laughs> yeah. doesn't have to be super expensive. Just as long as you're having fun. That's what's important. And when it comes to movie pass, I guess if you're having fun and it's worth it to you, then like go nuts. Just also consider that your data is being sold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because they're as you know they have a ton of subscribers, but I mean they're also losing money on all the tickets sold. So we'll we'll see. It, uh, last thing I'm, I was going to say from a lot of the comments I read, it seems to really work pe- for people based on their viewing habits and maybe some of their area. I know that was one of my big reasons for not getting it. Is I like to see things on opening night, which is where and you can't buy tickets in advance, so that's probably not going to work for the past but if you're willing to see things a week later or you live in an area maybe a more rural rural area that doesn't have a whole lot of cinema traffic um you know because i saw i read some comments about people are like oh we have a cinema just down the street i can walk to it it's never busy there's no one there yeah you know sure that probably sounds great Sure. And you're keeping little local places alive. And I can get behind that. The mom and pop approach to movies. I mean, shoot, my the, my crappy theater was pretty much exactly that, um, even though it was owned by AMC. So, I, I guess movie passes, 
it's all right, man. I suppose. Um, <laughs> it is be, funny. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think, like I said, it brings up a lot of conversations about people's attitudes towards films. And I think AMC maybe does have a point where they're, they are worried that MoviePass will de- devalue people's perceptions of films and say, well, if I, you know, let's say MoviePass goes away because they're not sustainable. And, you know, people might be, say like, oh, well, you know, if I can't see a movie for $2, I'm not going. Yeah. Which, I mean, come on. Like, how how is how is cinema going to be a thing if you're, if you're, convinced you can pay two dollars to see an 80 million dollar film it's it's absurd and 80 million is like swinging low nowadays yeah. which reminds me before we move on to i tanya there's one other thing i wanted to mention i wanted to talk about the uh the temperature the mood of the audience in the post i went and saw it at my local crappy regal cinema uh it's like a 16 screen theater and it was mostly a bunch of old people in there but we walked in right as the trailer started so it got a little dark and we found our seats kind of front row and there was a woman sitting in the handicap seats, which I had mentioned a few episodes back as like the prime spot if you're going to a theater alone because you can just sit in this isolated little area where nobody else is sitting next to you, which is peachy keen. Um, but as we were sitting in there, like some people were making noise. I definitely heard a loud shush, which was great. I was like, nice. <laughs> yeah, somebody, I mean loud. Like the whole theater heard it. Like, oh man, they were landed on thick. Some people came in and they were looking at their tickets and they busted out like their iPhone flashlight in oh, a dark gosh. theater, which I was yeah, like I, I looked over them and like looked looked back, Christine like gave her a nudge, like, look at these people, like look at these which was terrible. And they eventually found their found their seats and they were on their way. Which by the way, wasn't assigned seating. You can just sit wherever. <laughs> so like way to go. But the thing that the thing that really got me that that I really enjoyed is some poor guy comes in like like two minutes after the movie starts, some 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 old guy by himself. And he comes in, he can't really see because it's dark, you know, and the movie's just starting, so he's still got, like, title cards up and stuff. And he comes in, comes walking down Main Street to walk to the far side far side of the theater. And you remember that woman I mentioned who was sitting in handicap earlier? Well, it turns out she was totally supposed to be there because she had a walker, and, like, it was invisible in the dark. And this guy hit it and totally ate it in front of a theater <laughs> no. full of people. Yeah, it was the loudest, like, <laughs> racket I'd ever heard. I, and like, I would just get up and leave if that was me. Like, <laughs> oh I wouldn't be able well, yeah. to sit to sit through the movie. Because <laughs> he, 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 like, so he got up real fast and, like, realized it was somebody else's walker and, like, tried to readjust it the way it was. And then just, like... I would have just, just stayed down on the floor and just wallowed in the popcorn butter and just not gotten up out of shame. And the soda that dripped down from aisle seven. Yeah. And just like just the saddest. Yeah. The guy just like got up and, and moved the walker, just stumbled back to his seat and like fell into it and ashamed. It was fantastic. I don't know if you've ever seen a display quite like that in a movie theater, yeah. but it, it was worth every cent I paid to get into the post. So moving on. We need to talk about I, Tanya. I mean, come on. What kind of friggin' person bashes in their friend's knee? Who would do that to a friend? I, Tanya, yes. Go ahead. What is this movie about? Set it up for me. Okay. So this movie is a biopic about figure skater Tanya Harding. And for those of you who don't know, back in the early 90s, Tanya Harding was an Olympic hopeful she had risen through the ranks of American, you know, competitive skating. Uh, you know, she was going to win. She was favored to win gold or, you know, place really high. 
she was the first woman to land uh, the triple axel, which is apparently a really difficult skating move. No one had ever done. No, fe- I guess no woman had ever done. Uh, and she was the first to land one, and land, and she made it part of her routine. And then in the 1994 Olympics, right before they took place, someone from her team hired a hitman kind of to physically assault one of her competitors, Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, he was supposed to break her leg. Uh, he didn't, he, he hit her with a baton, um, and just kind of bruised her knee really badly. Um, and there was this huge scandal, obviously, cause it's, you know, you have an Olympic figure skater assaulting another Olympic figure skater at the highest level of competition. Um, and it's it's unclear wh- whether how much she knew or whether she, you know, she claims she didn't know anything about it. That it was all her manager, her ex husband's um, idea and plan. Um, but anyway, so there's this huge scandal. She goes to the Olympics in '94, anyways. Like she's allowed to compete. She places dead last, <clears throat> which has nothing to do with her performance. Um, Nancy Kerrigan wins the silver. And then after that, she's completely barred from figure skating for life, cannot compete, cannot coach, nothing. So that's that's what the film's about, and that's what, that's the incident. And so the film covers her rising up as, as a young figure skater, um, and she's very poor. Like, she's, you know, poor white trash, doesn't lives in a trailer park, kind of just real trashy upbringing, and she's abused a lot, like, uh, physically, emotionally, um, verbally by her mother. Um, and that's one of the kind of themes of this, the film is the disparity of wealth and uh, and of class. Um, she doesn't place as high at a lot of the competitions, even though she skates just as good, if not better than her competitors, because she doesn't look the part. She's not prim and proper. She, you know, her hair is ratty. Her mother hand sews her costumes instead of, you know, buying a $4,000 skating outfit because that's what they can afford. Um, so that's one of the, the themes of the film. Um, and, and it's just, uh, the story, sorry, the story is told through a lot of interviews, um, with different people that play, like Margot Robbie playing Tanya Harding, Sebastian Stan playing uh, Jeff Galuli, uh, her husband slash ex-husband. Um, and, and it kind of goes through different points in her life. And there's a lot of uh, breaking the fourth wall that happens, which is really cool and and doesn't happen too much. Like, it'll just kind of pop out at a scene. Um, but ultimately, like, this story is really tragic because you have someone born into terrible poverty you see them rise up and become something bigger something more and rise out of that situation and then it's completely taken away from her either by her own doing or at least the way the film portrays it it, the people around her because basically what happened is her ex-husband hired some dudes he knew who were and everyone in this is a moron like all these guys are like, these aren't smart CIA guys. Like they are just like super dumb. Um, and they carry out this, this really stupid attack, you know, hoping that Nancy Kerrigan can't compete. Um, and, and like I said, it, they are charged with criminal, with crimes. They do time. She is charged or she pleads guilty to, um, a a much lesser charge, something like, uh, hindering the investigation. But it's tragic because this was her meal ticket out of poverty, out of um, 
this situation and and she just has nothing because even if you don't win at the olympics even if you don't do that well you still competed at the highest level like you are an olympian you can ride that forever you can coach you can continue to you know be competitive as long as your body can keep up and and all that's completely uh stripped away from her um the other thing it touches on domestic violence really really heavily um but but in a very profound way because she is it's brutal like she is punched she is slapped she is thrown around she is shot at at one point and it's just so nonchalant like that's the thing like she's not phased by being hit because she gets hit hit so much um and no one else does anything her mother uh played brilliantly by uh allison janney uh you know she's just like well that's what you you chose to marry him like this is your own fault um and i think she's probably gonna get nominated for uh for best supporting actress um but that that's kind of an underlying current is just it's almost like this whole sin of omission where you know she's abused constantly throughout her whole adult life and no one does anything uh, there's a great scene where it's a scene where she gets shot at and the bullet ricochets or something and she gets injured she gets a uh you know some of it cuts her face and so they start driving to the hospital they get pulled over and the the cop sees you know, that she's got blood running down her face and just like, you know, doesn't do anything. And ex-husband talks his way out of it and they kind of, kind of move on. So there's, there's a brilliant conversation happening there and commentary about, uh, domestic violence. Um, yeah, it was really good. And she is brilliant. There's some really heartbreaking scenes, some really incredible acting. She goes through lots of physical changes, uh, Margot Robbie, uh, different weight changes. She's, you know, heavier, has more weight on in some parts of the film than others. Um, so yeah, it was really brilliant, and I, I fully expect her to get nominated, if not win, uh, for this role. There's a lot to unpack here, so I'm going to just try to go down the list as you said it. <laughs> okay. Um, first things first, I want to ask about kind of the energy of this movie. The trailers are very like punchy, very in-your-face, lots of pink, and it reminded me a lot of another Margot Robbie film, even though she wasn't the star, Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street, which I... I'm a tremendous fan of that movie. So I wanted to ask, how does it how does it feel? How's the energy? How's the tone? Is it portrayed as it is in the trailer? Is it a little bit more sincere? I mean, what was it like? Yeah, it, it's it's almost like a it's it's comedic or it's lighthearted. It's lighthearted drama. You know, it was categorized stupidly as a comedy by the Golden Globes, despite the horrific amounts of domestic violence. Um, yeah, it's real funny, Golden Globes. <laughs> That's the comedy. That's what's funny. The Golden Globes. Um, so as a lighthearted drama, I'd imagine that makes the... Yeah, there's there's lots of jokes. There's yeah. lot, lots of punches. And uh, I mean, some of it's just it's funny because of the absurdity of the situation, of the things that are happening, uh, the characters. I mean, because she, she hires her, her husband at the point. Uh, he's her manager. His friend, who's a complete idiot, is her bodyguard. And he fancies himself uh, literally like an international terrorist expert wow that is stupid yeah and he's just like oh i got he because he, he's the one who kind of orchestrates the um hiring of these other two even bigger idiots to carry out the assault right on uh nancy kerrigan and i remember this very well like that's i was about 12 or 13 when this happened and it was all over the news which brings me to another point it's it's there's this whole thing about the media frenzy around this like they're parked in front of her house in front of the olympics like it's you know, there's another conversation about 
the tabloid nature of the media sometimes going on. Right. And as far as the kind of presentation of all the characters, like you said, but especially the media, I wanted to ask when you said, um, like everybody in this car- in this movie is 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 dumb. Like they're all they're all terrible criminals. Is that just people who are bad in the movie, or is it like it seems like everybody in the world is, is has a screw loose? Everybody's missing something. No, it's, you know? I think this is another. It's another um, symptom of of poverty. Everyone Tanya's poor. Everyone she knows is poor. All their friends are poor, and poverty generally coincides with the lack of education. Asking about domestic violence. What's the rating on this movie? Um, is it a hard R? I mean, what do you? Actually, I'm if you, if you don't know, that's that's probably telling. Yeah, it's not. It's it's probably a R, I believe. Yeah, it's R. Okay, so it's well, yeah. Would you, how would you go on that? Hard R or like could take the girlfriend of the movies with you? R. Uh, uh, it you know it it really depends because th- there are some. Uh, there's a lot of difficult s- scenes. There's I mean, like I said, she gets hit all the time. She gets punched, slapped. <laughs> Thro- I, sh- thrown, I shouldn't laugh, but thrown like just in, the w- thrown into windows, yeah. like it's just it's it's brutal. Right, just the the way you say it, like she's just constantly getting beat on, like just sounds. I, yeah, I shouldn't laugh at that. That's awful. As far as disparagement of wealth goes, and also that kind of you know the, the beating of the main character. How do you sympathize towards that character? Do you? Find, I mean, because that's that's often what a biopic is. And with the title like I Tanya, like clearly she is our our lead in the movie. Do you find yourself feeling like, you know, this is just a really unfortunate thing that happened or she doesn't deserve it. Or by the end of the movie, you're thinking to yourself, you know, maybe, maybe this is where she's supposed to be. I mean, where do you land on that? No, I, I feel like she's a victim of circumstances. Like her mother is, is terrible and abusive. Her husband's terrible and abusive and surrounded by other just bad people that contribute to just ruining her life. Um, because I do feel, you know, I don't, I don't want to think too much about what happened outside. I'm just trying to think of what the film portrayed, but yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. she's, I mean, she's a pretty good person. She's trying to do her best. I mean, she's in skating, which is a kind of an elitist sport and it's just tragic because she could do something that no one else could. She, she wasn't just an Olympian. She was someone who possibly could have changed the game, like changed the level of raise the level of play, which is always an incredible thing. It's like a Michael Phelps or a new same bolt like that to have that level of athlete and then have them not be able to compete is just, it's real tragic. Right. It's really rough. As far as the performances go, I know you said Alice and Janie probably deserve some kind of Oscar nom. What did you think of Sebastian Stan and more importantly, Margot Robbie? Um, oh, I'll start with Margot Robbie. I mean, like I said, she's in, in incredible. I mean, so many physical transformations, uh, I mean, and just even age, there's parts where she, in the movie where she looks, she's 40 and where she's 15 and she looks those ages. It's, it's really incredible. Um, and you know, she has, she's Australian and she does a really good Southern accent. I'm not sure, real sure where she's from, uh, Tanya Harding's from originally, but yeah, she nails like that back, that backwoods hick kind of Southern, um, accent. And, and I heard that she learned to skate. And do a lot of like the basic like figure skater stuff. As I well did as not. I, I didn't know she was Australian. That blows my mind. Yeah, exactly. Never would have known that. Um, Sebastian Stan plays her husband, and so I've only seen him in. I mostly know him as the Winter Soldier. Marvel. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. Really, it's because that's really all I know him from. Um, yeah, I mean, it's again the, the violence is is so unnerving just because of how nonchalant it all is. Like. You know, he he punches and slaps and hits 
uh, Tanya Harding all throughout the movie, and it's just so he's so calm and like I said, like it's an it's a normal thing. Uh, and he and he does a lot of the interviews too. They do lots of one on one kind of interviews where he's talking to the camera and through different ages. Those are really really good as well. And it's I wanted that. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, just the way the story is told is really, really, really captivating. Right. And I wanted to ask about those fourth wall breaks, I think is my last kind of question for it. I did not know it was set up with like interviews talking to the camera. What is it like office style or like how do these fourth wall breaks happen? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like documentary style. Okay. But 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 th- that's not when the, when those happen. I mean, there might be a scene happening and all of a sudden they turn to the camera and like, oh, this was from the trailer where, you know, she's shooting a gun at her husband as he's running out the door and she turns and says, this never happened. You know, so there. Oh, got it. Okay. It's kind of Ferris Bueller-esque almost. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. Well, that's kind of cool. I love a good fourth wall break. I really do. Like, I, I, I think there's something to it. Um, yeah. The other thing that, that I want to talk about is kind of the aftermath of, of all this. Um, because she can no longer be in competitive skating. And of course that, Obviously means no deals, no sponsorship, none of the money that becomes uh, that's associated with being a professional athlete or a professional or an Olympian. Um, so she ends up having to be. She becomes a boxer for a while. Uh, she does a lot of C and D list celebrity uh, type things. Uh, she works at Sears. I mean, it's just it, it's really sad. I mean, it's I'm sure really she, a bummer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, she's going to make money off this movie, and I'm sure she's still, you know, she's not living in the poverty that she first starts from. But you know, she could have been such a star. It's a, it's one of these like great what if stories. So I guess before we talk about, would you recommend it? Is it, is it, is it a downer of a film? Is it like you walk out feeling like, man, I feel terrible? I mean, where, where do you land? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I like watching challenging stuff and diff- and you know difficult things. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's it is really lighthearted. The whole thing is lighthearted. It's really funny. There are a, a lot of jokes, but while it's touching on these real serious subjects, and I've said this before, that cinema and art is a way for us to digest difficult things, right. and that's that's part of w- what this movie does because it's really entertaining and it's really funny. Um, but it's like I said, it's it's pretty. It, the the tragedy is is much is very subtle. It's only something that I realize after thinking and through it more. Right, Andy, would you recommend I Tanya? I would recommend it. I I think you like I said. There's some very difficult scenes. There's a lot of domestic violence. So that might be some people might have issues with that, or that people just need to know that there's a lot of that going in. I think that's reasonable i think it's a good way to recommend it yes but watch out for the domestic violence i i this is going to sound awful again i love a good like biopic and i've drawn like the wolf of wall street for inspiration here or any any movie in general that is just so brash about its presentation of something that's not normal like for example wolf of wall street and there were like heavy use of drugs just uh-huh. all over that movie. So by the end of the movie, it it almost feels normal. Like you're used to it. Like you're just numb to it, you know? And like, I love a movie that can present in that way. Do you think it does that with domestic violence? Or does it feel like every time it's like, this is... Uh, no, that yeah. it definitely does that where it's it, it's shocking the first few times and then it just it becomes normal. Yeah. Which is, I, what she's, which is what she's exactly what she says in the movie. Right. It is... It is not every day a film can draw in an audience like that and make you relate to a character in that way. It's right. crazy. 
Well, I guess that about wraps our show. What are you what are you gonna see next week or this week? Um I think Phantom Thread might be out. Definitely looking forward towards to that. Um Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. He plays, he plays a seamstress. No, I don't in know. His, he's a he's a fashion guy of in his fabled final role. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. It's his yeah. third third time to retire. Right. Everybody gets three. Um, just one quick reminder. We do have an email address for correspondence. We uh, do. So you can send your, uh, comments and concerns to mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. If I didn't lay that on thick enough <laughs> in the show thus far, I think I mentioned it twice. So yeah, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, shoot us, an, shoot, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think. Which reminds me, didn't we, didn't we have somebody email? Should we have talked about that at some point? Oh wait, we did. We did. What did they say? Oh God, we didn't. <laughs> no, we did. This is important. Yeah. Uh, is wait. Is this is, okay? Because you sent me an email. Is this the email you sent me, or is this another one? It's the one I sent you. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we had a, an email from Samantha, uh, Samantha K. I'd give away her identity, but I'm afraid of the deluge of hate mail you would get from our adoring fans, uh, who simply said the word "turds." <laughs> And I want, I want you to know that I respect this because a staple for every show, a, a hurdle they have to get past is their first hate mail, and you are our first one. So well done. You've legitimized us, and I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, man. Can't yeah. wait to hear more. Turds to you as well. So, yeah, that's our show, I guess. Um, from the home of Bold Cinema, this has been Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. And that is another episode in the can. <laughs>